1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now
2: at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: And boy, oh boy, Monday, those temperatures are going to be tying records from 1955. Well, that's the last few days of summer, so turn up the heat. And then what's going to happen after that? Well, we have no idea. And thanks for stopping by, folks. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, if you have any questions or concerns about your landscape, your plant material, should you get those house plants and tropicals that you had sitting out on your deck or your patio or whatever ready to come inside? Uh, well, who knows? But you can call in 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with any kind of questions, concerns, or comments. This is Saturday morning, and we get together and have a discussion about what's impacting your yard. And, uh, oh, those downspouts that the neighbors have that shoots water down in between your houses. Why don't they bury those? I don't know. Anyway, how about a specialty garden space? You want to have an herb garden? So you can make some nice pesto. Yeah. Couldn't be better. And as I said before, your tropicals, your houseplants. And what is potting mix versus potting soil? And should you be improving your soil if you have existing plant material in that space? And how do you do it? And when do you do it? Should you be pruning? Should you be looking for diseases and bugs and things like that? Well, the information I'll share with you and my thoughts hopefully will help you Solidify your options with the final judgment of the action you're going to take on your shoulders, of course. And this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car, wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is James, and he's producing. He has been producing for the last several weeks. And uh, (sighs) good to see you, James. And uh, when you call, all he needs to know is your first name. He doesn't need to know why you're calling or anything else. That's my problem. Or not a problem. That's my job. And by the way, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. That was in the last century. Oh, my goodness. And I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation, if you like, for me to do a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage, there's my email and phone number. And uh, my computer, AT&T, is still screwing around with me, so I don't have a computer up. So, anyway, you can give me a call. Today, after the show, I'm going back to my own South City neighborhood near Corona, that park. And uh, that's going to be for my walk and talk today. And uh, well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Wow. The sun was just absolutely beautiful. Looked like a huge orange ball rising into the sky. And uh, I got to the, where I was planning on going for my walk and talk. And uh, it's kind of an interesting wedging situation, uh, t- not a necessarily really tiny wedge. But I stepped out of my car, and there was dog walkers all over the place, an abundance of them. And there's a sign that declares this is Southampton's neighborhood. And there were stump grindings there on this little wedge garden space from a tree that had been recently removed. But still existing, there's a redbud tree, which creates an umbrella for a bench there. And that bench is dedicated to the memory of Marie Robinson. And she was past president of the Southampton neighborhood. So it's really a nice-looking bench. And uh, like I said before, the redbud tree creates a nice umbrella for the sun. So you can sit there and just take it easy. Take it easy. The lawn pathways dissect a couple different places. There's actually a drainage, which I'm not exactly sure what you know why that's needed, but off the street, so water can e- drain down into this garden space. And I guess I don't know where it goes after that. I didn't want to get down in there and start digging around in the rocks or anything. But uh, there was still lots of guess what, liatris. Liatris were they look like bottle rockets this time of year? They finish flowering, but they're. St- st- just streaking straight up into the sky. They're really fun. There's some cone flowers. have already finished flowering. That uh, offer some seed for finches. How lucky can the finches be? There's also asters in bloom. Other members of the sunflower family in bloom as well. The color spaces all over the place. There's hardy geraniums. The foliage is there, and the foliage really looks good. If you really like uh, kind of a textured foliage. And a kind of a low hump grower, that's perfect as far as the hardy geraniums go. They're not quite like, the, let's say, the classic geraniums, but the hardy geraniums are like the typical perennial plant that only blooms for X amount of time during, during the growing season. And, uh-oh, sweet autumn clematis was getting a foothold. It was growing up over the top of something. There's some berry plants in there. I couldn't tell exactly what kind of berries they were, but... uh there wasn't any left to harvest. I don't know if they hadn't been pollinated or what was going on. Purple, giant alliums. You know what an allium is? Well, it's an onion. But this is of ornamental onions. I guess you could eat them, but I've never really had one. I'm not a real fan of onions. Most of the time when I go into restaurants, I say, if that has onions in it, take the onions off. Because onions are just a little bit too powerful for me. There are several varieties of ornamental grasses as well. The crickets were singing and the robins were chirping at on this the last weekend of summer. Whoa, wow. This has been quite the summer, growing-wise and everything else. So if you do have any questions or concerns, we've got phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back
2: after these messages. We go where you go. 1120 a.m., 98.7 FM. KMOX.com.
3: Yes, folks, we got phone lines open, and uh, please call because Ethan's here, and he's part of the company, and he's watching how many calls I get. So the garden hotline might be in the compost pile soon, so please give us a call. And as you go out and do some shopping... You're probably going to notice that there are a lot of pumpkins. And the pumpkins, I mean, all kinds of different squashes and gourds and this is and that. Man, some of the shapes and colors are absolutely spectacular. We were going to get one yesterday, Tracy and I, when we were out. But uh, we skipped it. We were just surprised that there was a whole huge crate of really unusual, unique ones that were only like $6.99 each. So... We, it's a little bit early for us to put the pumpkins out, but we got pumpkins inside, but we just don't have them outside. And outside, right now, I'm starting to sort of dismantle the summer landscape. And uh, this past week, I uh, did some stuff. I, unfortunately, I bought some uh, moonflowers, which have done a spectacular show as it gets dark in the evening. I mean, these flowers are pure white. They're probably like six or seven inches across, and uh, they have just put on a great show. And their cousins, the morning glories. Say, I wanted to have the morning glories, which historically I've done this before. Had the morning glories for the morning, and then the moonflowers for the evening slash night. But this year, I've had two different plantings of morning glories and no flowers. Lots of vines, just no flowers. I'm not exactly sure what happened there. Anyway. Uh, one of them I had growing on a fence. I took that down the other day, and uh, we have one on a trellis by our back door, and I'm going to take that one down today. So just sort of going and uh, dismantling summertime and getting ready for the fall. So I'm still cutting the grass. Got my mower for my zoysia grass set at three and a half inches. I was surprised at how much the zoysia is still growing because, well, I mean, the weather's warm, and uh, the days are getting a little bit shorter. There's no getting around that, but uh, zoysia is still growing very, very well. My elephant ears are spectacular, and my cannas as well, and some of the other plants that I have around the tropical world, uh, just to add some pizzazz, are there also. And uh, the mums, as you head out, and as I was going to say Probably if you go someplace that has a bunch of pumpkins, various types of pumpkins, squashes or whatever for sale, they probably have some mums. And mums were probably first cultivated in China over 2,000 years ago. Can you believe that? And it was used for a medical value as well as an ornamental plant. The roots of the plant were boiled by people in ancient times to produce tea, which was to treat headaches. Tracy has headaches. Maybe I should tell her to boil some uh, mums (laughs) root systems. Anyway, the young shoots and petals were consumed in salads, and the leaves of the mums were brewed to produce a festive drink. Gee whiz, that's really kind of crazy. Some of the mum trivia. Chrysanthemums is the second most popular flower in the world, second only to roses. And in the Chinese culture, chrysanthemums was one of the four noble plants, along with plum blossoms, orchids, and bamboo. That's quite a combination. Japanese emperors also loved chrysanthemum flowers, so they sat between the thrones that covered them. So, what? Huh? Japanese emperors so loved chrysanthemums that they sat upon thrones that were covered with them. So in other words, they sat on the mums because they really liked them a lot. And chrysanthemums was first introduced to the Western world in about the 17th century. Chrysanthemums entered American horticulture when Colonel John Stevens imported a cultivar named dark purple from England. Today, there are more than 20,000 cultivars of mums worldwide. Can you believe that? 20,000 different varieties but as you go and you can see how many different ones there actually are, so that's something that you should be concerned with. Uh, in your landscape, just in in your, your landscape just in general, your your cool season weeds have already started to go. So it's too late. Don't even think about putting a pre emergent down this time of year. It's way too late. The seeds have already germinated, and uh, basically. The cool-season weeds that germinated basically back in August. That was a long time ago. That was, what, two or three weeks ago. Anyway, henbit, dead nettle, chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, Persian speedwell, which is a really flat, ground-cover, weedy-type thing with small blue flowers, and shepherd's purse. Those are the main ones that are cool-season annual weeds. And they'll keep growing and growing and growing and producing seed all through the wintertime even when it's super cold well maybe not when it's super cold but the seeds don't mind and they just drop the seeds and then that's how they self-perpetuate themselves for next year. Let's head back to the let's head to the phones for our first phone calls and this is Mary. Mary, how are you today?
2: Good. How are you doing? Very good. Um I'm getting ready to do a couple plantings before winter here. And um, fall's a good time to plant, right?
3: Absolutely. It's the best. The ground is warm. That encourages root system growth, so that's perfect. And then the plants get to go to sleep for wintertime versus in the springtime, the ground is cold. And then uh, summertime is one of the worst times for newly installed plant material.
2: Okay. What I've got is a a lavender plant that's in about, oh, a 10-inch pot. Somebody gave it to me, and it seems like it's doing real good i've had it most of the summer and um um i know it likes well-drained soil right
3: well-drained soil and full sun
2: full sun it'll get full sun most of the day it gets west sun and it gets a good amount of east sun and then for a period in the afternoon it gets a little shady because i've got these crepe myrtles over by where i want to plant it and Uh they're doing great this year they're the best they've ever done and they've been in for about three years great so um just dig the hole, and I could put it. It was started in potting mix, so I could put potting mix in the hole, right?
3: Well, you just have to be really careful by doing that because if we have a severe winter, the potting mix it has a lot of let's say pores in it, so it's right. for really good drainage. Unfortunately, that also lets cold, you know, super cold potentially air sink down into those gaps in between the the particles of the potting mix. And there could be some root damage as a result of that. So no. I would probably mix in the uh, some potting soil or potting mix with the existing soil, as opposed to just digging a hole and filling it up with potting mix. So pull, okay, pull okay. it up out of the you know pull it up out of the pot, shake some of the potting mix off of it, and then plant it, and then plant with the, the top of the root ball. Uh, higher than the surrounding ground. So you want right. to make sure that if there's no settling, or if there is settling, it doesn't settle and create a depression because any of the herbs, for the most part, do not like wet soils at all.
2: Right, right. Okay. Um, yeah, I could do that. So you want it slightly above the soil. You want it to be definitely it, above the yeah, soil. Yeah, the
3: top of the root ball, about an inch or so above the surrounding ground.
2: And dig a pretty pretty good size hole. I want it to be... About twice the size of what what it, the container it's in right yeah. now, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, basically, depth wise, is not as important. Width wise, that's where the you know the most important roots go lateral, as far as as versus depth wise.
2: Okay, and I'm just keeping my fingers crossed it'll make it through winter because I know lavender and rosemary and things. I haven't um, sometimes. Well, my rosemary didn't ever make it, but. I'm just hoping it will. You know, I think it gets enough sunlight, so I'll just have to see. I want to take a chance because it's too big, really, for me to bring in. Right. I don't have a space for it, so um, that's what I'm going to do. And the other thing I'm planting is catmint, which is a little different than catnip, they say, and yes, it's it also, is. I guess, an herb, and it's it's got r- really nice leaves and. It's supposed to spread real well once it gets established.
3: Yeah, it is, you know, pretty aggressive. So you just watch out for it wherever you plant it. Realize that it's going to be invasive.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to space everything right. far from the crepe myrtles a little bit. And I was looking at it last night, and everything looks different in the dark. But you get a, almost a better idea of how far you have to space. So. Um, it's about the same thing, right? well drained soil, right. lots of sun. It, right. I did read it could take some afternoon sun. Oh, yeah, and um cut it back they they say to cut it back to half its size before fall, what I was reading.
3: Well, I wouldn't necessarily do that the first year going into the yo know, into the planting space because the foliage is what makes, and they're still going to be you know making some chlorophyll, so the leaves are going to be working. So you reduce the amount of leaves, that's going to reduce the amount of food that's going to be available as the root system tries to get itself established.
2: Okay, but it's okay to put some potting mix in the hole with that, but sort of the same thing, you don't want it to be too porous, so cold air gets to the roots? Right, exactly. So
3: mix it in with some regular garden soil. Right. Just, yeah, regular dirt that's in your yard. I mean, soil, if you want to call it that. uh, Right, right. Let me give you an option on your lavender, too. What you can do is if you want to leave your lavender in that pot, all you have to do is dig a hole in the garden space where you want it to grow and just Uh drop the the pot down into the hole and then backfill around the hole, around the pot, And, again, leave about an inch or so of the top edge of the pot uh, above the surrounding ground. So if you're not totally sure that you want to have it growing there, then you have the option of uh, being able to make a decision next next year versus this year. Oh, that's a good idea.
2: But it's in a plastic pot. Does that make any difference? No. I mean, just
3: just make sure there's good drainage. And probably if you're going to do that, I'd fill the bottom of the – dig the hole uh, deeper than what the pot is – and fill the bottom of the hole with, like, uh, rocks or pea gravel or something along that line to guarantee that there's going to be drainage out of the pot.
2: Okay, okay. Where I'm planting it, the soil is kind of rocky. At some point, I think it might have been part of a long drive in my yard. Oh, really? Yeah, because so, I know I planted the crepe myrtles there, and the one that I planted where I'm going to plant these, it was pretty rocky. So I thought, well, maybe the lavender would like it here. Um you know it's it's for some plants they wouldn't like it, right. but I think you know, due to the rock content in there it you know i'm I think they would like it, maybe, so yeah, that's why great. I thought, well, that would probably be a good place to plant it,
3: so yeah, I mean, you can go ahead and plant it in the ground, but if you want to leave it in the pot, you can certainly do that,
2: okay, okay, and um, one other the the crepe myrtles I have, like I said, they're doing really good, they haven't really flowered much, but I'm not I don't care a whole lot because the foliage is so pretty. But they're doing great, and one of them is actually getting ready to flower. Isn't it kind of unusual for them to flower in the fall?
3: Well, I mean, summer, fall, they're late-season bloomers. So it depends upon exposure, weather, and all that other stuff can trigger the flowering, the bud set, and everything else. So every year may be slightly different. So don't put it on the calendar that's expecting it to be flowering at this particular date. So you just never know. Okay,
2: I won't. But the other two aren't. And um, I've been watering them a lot, too. I just happen to bring the hose back there and keep it set up back there. And they seem to really like the extra water.
3: Yeah, well, just watch out about watering because, again, overwatering can be to to the detriment, can cause some root rot.
2: Okay, I know, I know. But they they, they must like a certain amount of water. And, I mean, it seems like we're almost going into a drought again. So I thought, well, it's a good (laughs) thing I'm watering them. But I know what you mean about root rot. I've had that happen. And one last thing, my coneflowers. I have neglected them because I've been, you know, wondering about all these other plants and I just get a little distracted. But um, one of them that did great this summer, but it's got a lot of dead, you know, it's, I should have deadheaded it a while back and I didn't. Can I just kind of cut that back to maybe half its size?
3: You can, but you don't need to because the finches love those seeds.
2: Yeah, I've, I, Yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, I'll leave them. It won't hurt the plant just to leave them on there for a while.
3: Some of the seeds will drop, and then you'll have more plants next year.
2: Okay. Well, should I cut any of them off, any of the dead flowers?
3: You don't have to. If you want to, it's an aesthetic call more so than anything else.
2: Oh, good. So the plant will do okay, and it'll come back, and maybe even I'll have more baby cone flowers coming back.
3: Exactly. Well, thanks, Mary. Greatly appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you, and thanks for your show. It's great every Saturday. Well, thank you.
3: Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
4: Albert Pujols comes to bat. Cardinals slugger Albert Pujols talks with Tom Ackerman Mondays at 950. He
5: hits a fly ball that field. And it's
4: gone! Exclusively on the voice of the Cardinals, KMOX.
3: This show rocks, and I'll tell you who else rocks. Albert Pujols. Yesterday, he had his, what, 698th home run? Good grief. That is unbelievable. He is quite the home run guy, and a great guy, too. Let's head over to Janet's yard. Hi, Janet. Hi, Mike.
6: Uh, are you on here? Yes. Okay. It kind of dead in there. Uh, I am uh, having my uh, yard uh, co-aerated, mm-hmm. co and, and have grass seed put down. And I've been pulling up the thatch. I've been raking it up and then digging it up, uh, the rest of it, down to the ground. Is, is that all that important to do that?
3: Well, I mean, thatch, it just depends upon how thick and deep the thatch is. If you haven't dethatched for a while, use a leaf rake. Don't use a garden rake. And just, you know, rake it kind of lightly and get rid of that debris, because what that can possibly do is the new grass seed will land on the thatch and it's not in contact with the soil. So consequently, its rooting system and everything else doesn't get into the ground if we have a cold snap pretty quick. That's where the trouble would come.
6: OK, well, that's what I've been That's what I've done. And um of course, I used I, I used a regular rake. I didn't use just a leaf rake. I used a regular rake to do
3: it. Well, that's fine. It's just a lot more, it's harder work. So if you want no, to do that, I, well, I know. <laughs> you probably have giant biceps. No, I don't.
6: But anyway, it's almost done. And um, also, I have a, uh, I forget, it's a cherry decorative tree out in my front yard. I can't, um... I don't know what the name of before the cherry is. It's just a cherry tree. Could be Kwanzaa and uh, cherry. Uh, what, what, no, I don't think it's, I don't know what it is. It's just a decorative cherry tree. Yeah.
3: Well, Kwanzaa cherry is a decorative cherry tree.
6: Oh, uh, okay then. Um, I failed to uh, cut it back whenever after it flowered. I didn't know that I was to do that, um, you know. But. The branches are very long right now. Should I cut them back a little bit or not?
3: No, because if you cut them back now, you're cutting off the flower buds for next spring. So wait yeah. until next year and cut, you know, prune them back at that time.
6: I do it before it flowers, or no, no, after? no, no, no. Do
3: it after it flowers, so um, you get oh, yeah. the okay. of getting the aesthetics of the flowers.
6: Okay, so leave it like it is now. Right. Okay, and now uh, one last question. I planted some. No, um, oh, shoot. What are they? They are called uh, wine and roses. I planted some new ones out in my side of my uh, yard, and one of them was not as uh, even straight. With I planted three of them, it's not even. Should I dig that up now and uh, put that in a price? It should go more forward. Is it okay to pull, dig that up and
3: and replant it, or what? I would leave it alone for right now. Let it go for one season and see what happens.
6: Okay. No. Okay. Well, good. I'm. That's that's one last job that has to be done. Right. Okay. All right, kid.
3: Thank you, and I love your show. Thank, well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Also, when you put the seed, grass seed down, using a seed starter fertilizer could be to the advantage of your grass seed as well. So thanks a lot, Janet. And, uh, you know, another thing, last week uh, a gentleman called and he said he had a tree. He didn't know what the tree was. I didn't, you know, I didn't know either. I told him it was probably a hornbeam from the way that he's described it. Initially, somebody said it was a redbud. Somebody else said it was not a redbud tree. And then more I thought about it as I was walking through the neighborhood, probably the tree, the way he was describing it in the shape of the foliage, it was probably a linden, L-I-N-D-E-N, linden tree, versus what I said was a hornbeam. So I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but who knows anyway. Let's go now over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Hi, Mike.
6: Is it too early to plant iris bulbs, and do they need full sun?
3: Iris would do better in full sun. Yes. Okay. Now you're talking about the tuber iris, or are you talking about the bulbous one? So the, the bulbs. Okay. So, like, I mean, Japanese iris or uh, Siberian iris? Is that what you're talking about?
7: Uh, like the tall bearded
3: iris. Okay. So uh, it's it's probably a little bit premature, but uh, you could probably go ahead and do it. I wouldn't do the daffodils or tulips or crocus or anything like that because they're more or less a classic type of bulb, but uh, this one should be okay. All right, uh,
7: otherwise maybe wait a couple of weeks.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't harm. There would be no harm in doing that whatsoever. Okay, all right, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's see what's going on with Lynn. Hi, Lynn, how are you? Hi, Mike.
8: I have a comment and a question. The comment is on the lady that has the 3-year-old crepe myrtles, and she thinks they're going to rebloom crepe myrtles you know, put those grape balls on in the summer, and then they open and bloom. And then in the fall, when the blooms are through, they form the crepe, uh, they form those grape cluster balls again, and those are the seeds. So it's not going to re... I would be really surprised if it re-bloomed on her. I've been growing crepe myrtles for over 50 years, and every time I hear from somebody, they say, oh, your crepe myrtles are going to bloom again. Right. No, that's the seed head. Right. And she'll find out in the fall, um uh, cardinals love them
9: and in the, <laughs>
8: in, the, in the wintertime, cardinals will eat those cra- i've got them i've got, probably got fifty crepe myrtles in my yard oh and my
9: goodness
8: it, yeah, I've got just everywhere but uh, anyway, so I'll bet you that lady i'd I'd love her if she would call back because I'd be really curious to find out whether she has a seed forming or if she really does have a bloom forming i've never none of mine have ever rebloomed in the in the fall or or you know late fall, but I'm just curious yeah, and I, the, my question is. My brother has a sweet gum tree, and the um, it's an older sweet. It's got to be at least 20 years old. They've been in the house that long, and the, and it was a mature tree when they moved in. It, the limbs are dropping. They're, the lower limbs uh, of the tree are dropping. I've never seen this happen. All the way to the ground. So I, I'm thinking something's seriously wrong with
3: that tree. So in other words... Uh... The actual the lower branches are actually long, elongated enough that their the tips are touching the ground. Is that what you're saying? Yes, sir. You know,
8: like an oak will do, where where a lot of oaks will their limbs will lower toward the ground. Right. Kind of, it's just habitual. This I've never seen a sweet gum do this. And the she used to be able, my sister in law used to be able to mow under it without any trouble at all. Now uh, it just happened this year. The limbs are literally lowering to the point where you can't even walk under the tree anymore. You you, you can't do anything. It's, and I I told my brother get an arborist out there because I think your tree's dying. I, I've never seen a a tree do that.
3: I don't but. think it's dying. I think it's just they're elongating enough. But limbing a tree up, there's nothing wrong with that. But definitely have a professional tree service like Timberline to come out and do something like that. Okie doke. Thanks so much. All right. Good luck with that. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these
2: messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Let's head over to Joe's yard
3: and see what's happening. Hi, Joe. Hello.
5: Hi. Yes. Uh, Mike, I wanted to talk about your moonflowers. You know, they may be too bright and stopping your morning glories from getting photosynthesis is why they're not blooming.
3: (laughs) Maybe that could be the case, except they're a little distance apart from each other. (laughs) Yeah.
5: The other uh, question is on zoysia lawns. I think you're going for the landscaper. They should be—it's a warm-season turf. It should be cut one to two inches. If you get it three inches and these people have just a push more— You can't hardly work through it. You're going for the landscaper so he can keep coming every week and cut your grass.
3: I cut my You need to go
5: like the golf course one half to two inches at the most.
3: I you know, that's too tight for me. I cut my own grass Uh, and it's no big deal at all. So I don't you know I do everything pretty much myself.
5: What about and the other question real fast is aeration. A lot of these people are getting aerated but, you know, if they don't have the moisture and everything and really pull out a true core, you know, you're not doing a lot. You're just making pulling out the thatch a little. If you get down an inch or two is what you need at least, and then a lot of them want to thatch, you should really just fry, cut your grass, airify first, and then thatch to break up those cores so you are top-dressing with them.
3: Yeah, you could certainly do that if you'd like to do yeah. it Yeah, that makes
5: yeah. sense. I appreciate your show. You're really good. But I just some questions, I think you're going more towards the landscaper where they cut these three and a half and stuff. They look great for a day, but then two days later, your yard looks like it needs to be mowed again. <laughs> you know, I like the manicured look.
3: Wow. Uh, you know, one to two inches is a little bit too tight for me. It just the crowns of the plants get uh, sunburned sometimes. So my Zoiza looks nice and healthy and green, and I, uh, you know, cut it. Three and a half. So, but thanks for your insight. I mean, it's certainly my way is not the only way, as I always say.
5: Right. No, but I'm saying, like Bermuda, you cut it three inches. That crown grows so high, and then if you had some problem, you it gets too tall, you cut it, you scalp off all the growth. Right. And you're just, you're right. You're sunburning the crown very right. bad.
3: Well, thanks, yeah. thanks, Joe and Jason. could you do it kind of quick?
10: Yeah, real quick, Mike, cannas. I planted some cannas from a box store. They're doing great. I planted them probably too close. Now they're about three feet tall. What do I do this fall? I split them up. I take them inside. I I cut them off the top. You know about this. What's up?
3: Right. Basically, what you can do with the cannas is we've found over the years that people are putting three or four inches of mulch over the top of them after they cut them off, basically at ground level, and leaving them outside. Mine, I just, I've got about four different varieties with different color foliages and things like that and different color flowers. And what I do is I basically I have some in the ground, but the majority of mine I have in pots. I pull them out of the pots. I shake all the potting mix off of them. I chop the t- above ground growth off. And uh, then I just put them in paper bags and put them in the basement. But people are finding, you know, the fact that they can. You know, leave them in the ground. There's several houses, you know, in my neighborhood that leave cannons, they have them along the house. And this year, for the first time, I've got some elephant ears in the ground. And I'm going to try these elephant ears and see what happens with growing the elephant ears, allowing them to be there, year, you know, through the entire wintertime. I'm a little bit skeptical, but I wanted to try it to see if, uh, you know, I could have some success with it. And if I do or if I don't, I'll share that information so I basically, you know, my landscape I just sort of make it a kind of an experimental circumstance. I there's certainly procedures that historically are the, are the way to do that I stay with, but then I always kind of alter things. Just uh, let's try this and see what happens. What no, you know, and just sometimes I've had success, and sometimes I haven't, and sometimes, uh, you know, growing certain things like I had lemon verbena. When we first moved from Soulard down to South City, uh, I put lemon verbena in because I liked the smell of the foliage. But that stuff was way too aggressive, and aggressive in a way that I didn't really care for. Now I got that basically planted area between the alley and the garage uh, with the uh, purple coneflowers. flowers, and now it looks like dead seeds, which if, you know that's what the seed head is where the flower was but boy there's some goldfinches that keep coming for those seeds so there's lots of different ways and there's not just a single way to get from here to there success comes from many different directions so especially with us with our crazy weather and everything else so it should be enjoyable more so than anything else it shouldn't be too much of a stress factor so if you have questions or concerns 314
11: call from mom answer it
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 436-7900
3: or 1-800-925-1120. Back after the news.
2: Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, it is the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. But right now, you can give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selection, caring for ups and downs and all arounds for annuals. Yes, your annuals can still keep going and going and going and going for quite a while and still doing very well as far as flowering going. Uh, bulbs, your summer bulbs, elephant ears, cannas, those cacladiums, they can have probably maybe six more weeks before, the let's say, the cool, cold weather starts knocking them down a little bit. And uh, your spring bulbs, it's a little bit too early to be planting them. So keep those tulips and daffodils inside and then just uh, get the ground area that you're going to be planting, prepare. That's the best thing you can do. How about your ground covers? The leaves are starting to fall off some of the trees. We have three sugar maples around our as street trees around our house, and uh, consequently, one of them got uh, let's say root pruned by spire putting in a new gas line to our house, and uh, it's already starting to turn some color and dropping quite a few leaves. Not bad, but uh, you know it's a little bit stressed out. In your houseplants, take a look at them, start watching them kind of closely, and get them ready to come indoors, your lawn, your perennials, roses, tree shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my comments, answers, and opinions is not the only garden path to take to success, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board, James, he's producing today, and uh, he answers the phone. He just needs to hear your first name, doesn't need to know what you're calling about, that's my responsibility and uh during the week i do landscape consultations and uh during the weekends as well so today after the show i'm headed over to uh holly hills 3800 holly hills and uh take a look at uh the landscape over there i get to go some really great places get to see some really great landscapes and you can go to my website mikemillerdesigns.com there's my email address and phone number uh, calling me would probably be better than the e- than the email, but uh, I'm not going to cry anymore about AT and T and me battling us. Anyway, enough of that. Forty years of experience—that's what I share with you. I started off. Uh, I went to school in California, came back to St. Louis to work at the botanical garden, and uh, I've done all kinds of different things since then. So, anyway, tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual, group, or situation. That's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 Tip of the trial goes out to, there's all kinds of garden clubs all over the place. There's no getting around it. And the, the meetings and everything, they usually meet about once a month and they kind of specialize in certain particulars, you know, situations. So, you know, I've I've got probably like six or seven pages of different garden clubs and it's certainly not all of them that are in the region, but uh, one of the garden clubs is the St. Louis Evening Herbalist. So only growing herbs in the evening? No, that's just the name of the group. And also the St. Louis Hostas Society. The hostas pretty much kind of finished flowering but the foliage is still looking really good on the hostas, so that's Really kind of nice to see. And uh, Sprig and Twig Garden Club, that's uh, from Florissant. And the Rose Society of Greater St. Louis. The roses this year have been really great, I think. Myself, as I've seen them as I've been walking around and just observing when I've gone and done walk and talk in people's yards. The only thing that doesn't have a, a garden club is crepe myrtles. And there's so many crepe myrtles. I'm really, 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 really surprised. So anyway, that's just one of lots of different or a couple of lots of different garden clubs around the metropolitan area. Let's see. Why don't we take a couple calls before we go to break? Let's go over to uh, Joyce's yard. Hi, Joyce.
2: Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. A question I have is about a hibiscus I received as a gift. About a year and a half ago, I've kept it in a pot, brought it in last winter. It's been out this summer. It's bloomed. It's beautiful. It's grown. But it's very leggy. There's a lot of wood between the top where all the flowers and leaves are and the bottom. So can I cut it back now? Should I wait until spring, bring it in, and wait until I take it back out again? Well, I'm wondering, if,
3: you, if you had it in last year, you probably know they don't do so well in the wintertime indoors. Right. And so mm-hmm. if you cut off any all the foliage and everything else, then it's going to look like a skeletized, you know, de- I don't want to say dead tree, but uh, dead, let's say, hibiscus. So I would right. say go ahead and just leave it alone as, you know, leggy as it seems. And then next year when you get ready to push it outside, then uh, prune it back at that time. Great.
2: Okay. And how much should I leave up above the dirt when I prune it back? Uh, four inches
3: three uh, i i would do a little bit more than that okay maybe if how was let's put it this way how long are the twigs or branches or whatever right now
2: oh gosh it's probably in full length it's probably 30 inches tall
3: so almost three feet so i would probably cut back you know maybe two thirds of it no more than that very good thanks for your help sure my pleasure and now let's go to pam's yard hi pam Good
7: morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call.
3: Sure.
7: I have three climbing rose bushes at the front of my house, which faces south. Uh, They're magnificent, except the deer have come through and they have ate out the bottom five feet of it. So I'm a little top-heavy here. I want to know if I can cut the tops off, maybe cut it back to five feet and let it start over. Is it too soon to do that? What?
3: I would wait to do that kind of heavy duty pruning when we come out of winter time. So sometime after Valentine's Day. Okay. Just okay. leave it. Just leave it alone. But I mean, the climbing roses in general are not ones that really like to be pruned. So.
7: Right. I and I've the only time I pruned them was when I dug them up from Belleville and moved them over here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so they, these things are thirty years old. Oh, I really wow. don't want to lose them. They're beautiful. Right. Okay, but wait till spring. Yep. Okay, thank you so much.
3: Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. The Voice of St. Louis, news that matters to you, KMOX. Tell you what, folks, this time of year, the Sunflower Family Group, just, I mean, they're going crazy as you, you know, as I pretty much, Any place I take my walk and talks, unless it's a really shaded woodland garden type circumstance, there are some kinds of sunflowers. And sunflowers, guess what? North Dakota leads the United States in sunflower seed production. You know how many pounds of sunflower seeds North Dakota makes or grows? 1.3 billion pounds. That seems unbelievable. One thing about the sunflower group that, uh, you know, I didn't realize or whatever until I kind of did a little bit of research, is sunflower butter was developed as a healthier alternative to peanut butter for those that have peanut allergies. So I, don't, I can't honestly say I've ever had any sunflower butter, but that might be kind of something to check out just in general. Peanut butter I don't really care for anymore. As a kid I loved it, but as an adult it's like a little bit too thick. Anyway, let's go over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Hello, Jerry. Uh,
7: I believe it's Terry. Oh, sorry, my name? fault. That's okay. That's okay because I thought he had mispronounced it, but it is Terry. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I have a couple questions here for you. Uh, I have a Japanese maple that I've had um, approximately, I think, eight to ten years, and it's pretty good size. It's the the type with the Feathered leaves. Right. It
3: looks like an umbrella?
7: Yes. Right. Um, I'm wanting, and I have trimmed it back before, but it's, it's needing a, a good trim. And I was wanting to know when was the best time for me to trim that or cut that back.
3: Ger- uh, well, ger- generally, the maple group, the whole family, prefer to be pruned in the wintertime versus in the fall or the springtime.
7: Okay, so what month are we looking at in the the winter month?
3: It doesn't matter. Uh, Sometime, let's say, from Thanksgiving until uh, the Ides of March.
7: Okay. And when I cut that, uh, about how much, as far as inch-wise, should I cut that?
3: You should probably uh, just cut back. I wouldn't cut back more than a third so one uh, one third of the branches so that are you still there
7: yes i am
3: okay so i, I wouldn't have, have the, a, uh,
7: i also have a tiger lily uh that's the tall one with the spiky leaves that, Right. Uh, mine has the orange flower on it right um i'm i have moved a couple of the the single plants that had probably come from seed over the years from the plant, but I was wanting to move the the big plant, and I was wanting to know when would be a good time for me to move that plant
3: is it still the foliage still looks good on it?
7: no it is uh it is already it's, on it's dormant. Already long.
3: yeah i would yeah. say I would say you could go ahead and do it now then.
7: Okay, and then how will I keep the squirrels from trying to dig that
3: up? Well, the squirrels are really kind of lazy. So when, you've, when anybody digs anything into the ground, it's easier for them to dig into just simply to, you know, throw anything in there that they want to. And so consequently, you could just lay, you know, some kind of like screen over the top of it and that way, you know, idea. and maybe put some mulch on it if you want. Or just... That's a good idea. Yeah, I would say don't worry about it all that much. Okay.
7: Okay. Those are the only questions I had. I love your show. I listen to it every Saturday.
3: Well, great. Thanks, Terry. I greatly appreciate Uh it. Thank you. Yep. Have a good day. We're having some real problems with our computer. (gasps) The screen. Anyway, let's go over to Sue's yard now. Hi, Sue. Hi.
0: I have a hibiscus. um, Oh, and thanks for taking my call. Um, a hibiscus that's bloomed throughout the winter the last two or three years. It it comes inside, mm-hmm. and this year, it's all I've got is a growth. It's grown. It's about a five a five foot tall now. Well, maybe three, maybe four foot tall, and it's uh, got wonderful lush growth, but I haven't been able to get any buds. What am I doing wrong?
3: Are you fertilizing?
0: I might not have fertilized as much.
3: Yeah, maybe that's you know, because I mean, nutrients have a big you know have a big impact on the ability of plants, especially something that's tropical that's being grown. You know, I mean, our summer times are definitely tropical like, but uh, just the soil in general with watering, you're leaching all the nutrients and everything out of the soil every time you water. You know, because it's going out through the drainage hole, so I think that might be, you know, some of the problem.
0: Okay, now do do I? It's it's almost too big now to, to for me to bring inside. Ooh. If I cut it back, I'm going to lose all the all the bloom, aren't I? If I mean p- potential bloom.
3: Right, you're going to lose all of, a lot of the foliage too. So it's going to look like dead sticks, just like a a collar earlier today.
0: Well, I wouldn't cut it back that far. Okay. <laughs> So, so what? What do you think? Just cut it back and then keep fertilizing? Well, then it's winter time. Yeah, I...
3: don't fertilize in the winter.
0: Okay.
3: So just uh, you can cut it back if you want to, and then as soon as the days start to get longer. So in other words, winter starts getting yep. to be over with, and spring the days lengthen. Then go ahead and uh, do the start the fertilizing, and then fertilize monthly.
0: I have white fly on the poinsettia. The has just grown immensely. It's beautiful. It's not, I mean, it's green leaves, but it's beautiful. Um, if I'm remembering right, a couple of years ago, I had a, a nice poinsettia, and I sprayed it with uh, uh, Concern, which is a, a soap for plants, mm-hmm. uh, and, it, and it didn't do well. So is there any other way to get rid of that white fly? I sprayed it this morning took it away from the rest of the plants, and sprayed it good with with just water spray. Um, what else could I do?
3: Water spray doesn't do anything, but when yeah. you do spray, you can get an insecticidal soap or something like that. Just make sure you spray the stem and the underside of the leaves as well as also the surface of the potting mix it is growing in.
0: Okay, what's, what's a uh, systemic? Yeah. Insecticidal, like
3: yeah, insecticidal soap. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And follow the label. Don't, uh, don't, if they say it's teaspoon per gallon of water, don't make it two teaspoons. Okay. All right. Thanks, Sue. Thank you, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. Now let's see what's going on in Roger's yard. Hi, Roger. Hello,
10: Mike. Um, got a question about Bermuda grass. I got more Bermuda grass this year than ever. And I used to have just a little bit, but, uh, now it seems to be spreading everywhere and into the flower beds and uh, taking over the fescue. Um, is there any solution?
5: <laughs>
3: uh, basically, it's a once it's there, it's you know, a little bit tough to get rid of. There are a few uh, herbicides that can kill that that don't do damage to the other things, but unfortunately, <laughs> the availability is going to be very very limited. So. You just have to watch out with that. Uh, I would say, you know, just leave everything alone. It's a warm season grass, just like the zoysia, and it's going heading to dormancy, so don't try to control it with any kind of herbicide or anything this time of year. Next year, as soon as you start to see it green up, head out to your favorite garden center and tell them that you have the Bermuda grass, and then see what kind of herbicide that they have or they recommend product-wise that they carry. Yeah,
10: I've had this for several years, but it was... Just little spat, little patches of it, but this year it just took over everywhere, and uh, I'm just wondering: this, this 95, 100 degree t- temperatures is, is what's causing this? Is that probably the contributor to this?
3: Well, it could certainly be, and our screwball weather too, because I mean we had huge amounts of rain, and then we've had drought, and then we had some more rain, and then we had drought. So that factor Somewhere, is just part
10: where they grow it all. Huh?
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
10: Um, what's the best, uh, if, if I decide I'm just going to, um, uh, make it, let it grow, um, is it, I guess, keep it short like you do Zoysia, huh?
3: Yeah, that's... Hello? So, so, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that would that's probably right. be the best thing to do.
10: Yeah, just keep keep the grass short and, uh, let it, let it take over. Or it'll be a golf course.
3: Right, exactly. <laughs>
10: <laughs> okay, you, have, you answered my question. All right, thanks.
3: Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
5: April 9th, 2001. Swing and a home run to left. The first Major League home run for Albert Pujols. Now.
10: A swing and a long drive. Left foul. Albert Pujo has just tied the game with home run six ninety-eight. The pursuit for 700 continues. Light up the night. KMOX is
5: Cardinals Radio.
3: Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. We do have some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob.
4: Hey, good morning, Mike. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. I have a couple questions for you. Um, next week I have a company coming out to dethatch my yard, aerate it, and then I will overseed it, and then I was going to put a thin layer of compost on top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that the order I should do it in?
3: Yeah, that's fine.
4: Okay. I wasn't sure if I needed to put the thin layer of compost down before I seed it or not. So um, then my second question is around um, lilac bushes. I have two lilac bushes. One's on the uh, southwest of my house, and it's not doing very well. I don't think it gets enough sun. Um, And then the other one's on the north side does really well. When is the best time to transplant a uh, lilac bush?
3: Basically, with anything, fall is a really good time to do it. Just make sure you water it the night before you're doing it. Get the location you're moving into prepared before you dig it up. Dig it up and move it and plant it You know, ASAP. Okay. Appreciate it. And the lilacs in general like an alkaline soil, so proximity to any kind of cement, foundation-wise, sidewalk-wise, and stuff like that is fine.
10: Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to Tom Jar. Hi Tom. Hi,
15: good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. I am calling with a tip of the trowel to Missouri Wildflower Nurseries. All right. Um they were uh I had placed an online order and was and went to pick it up last Saturday in Kirkwood and they mistakenly gave me someone else's order, too. Whoops. <laughs> um, and And at the time i didn 't realize it because I knew I ordered a lot of plants, and so I called them the next day and uh offered to you know meet the other person, give them the plants. They said "No, they live in illinois it 's too far to go Wow, and it obviously was too far to make a return to Jefferson City <laughs> um I offered to pay for them, and they said, no, nope, our mistake, you just keep them, find a good home for them. Wow. So their customer service is exceptional. Their plant quality is exceptional. Uh, I encourage anyone interested in native plants to um, buy from Missouri Wildflower Nursery. Great. And um, so, yeah, we couldn't be happier.
3: All right. Well, great. Thanks, Tom. You bet. Bye-bye. Yep, and let's head over now to Randy's yard. Hi, Randy.
4: Good morning, Michael. I have two questions for you. One, I have uh, I purchased two hibiscus plants from Walmart this past spring, and they got about 12 inches tall. They have beautiful, big coral-colored blossoms. I'd like to have those again next year. Uh, can I winter those over indoors?
3: Well, is this the one like disco bell? Is that that type of hibiscus? Is this a like a perennial type that you know grows outside, as opposed to the tropical type.
4: I think it's probably an annual. An annual. I really do. It, it didn't have any sort of a marker; it just said hibiscus.
3: Hmm. Because there are hardy varieties of hibiscus in the color that you described. How big was it? Let's say the uh, radius of the flower.
4: Oh well, let's see.
3: I'd say there was a good five inches. Five. And is it growing on a woody stick, you know, like a trunk, or is it growing? Um, it's a woody stick. Yeah, Okay, so trunk. then it is a you know probably a tropical type versus because there are, again there are hardy varieties of hibiscus that do very very well here in the outdoors, but uh, this sounds like uh, you know one that's going to be you know just realize with a hibiscus you bring them inside. And they start losing leaves, uh flowering is gonna be hit and miss, so just realize it may be a little bit disappointing as a houseplant.
4: Yeah, well, I wasn't so much concerned about a house plant as maybe putting them in the basement and then putting back out again in the spring.
3: Ah, uh, that'd be
4: advisable.
3: I don't know about that. So if you I'd put if you put try. some yeah, if you put some grow lights on it, yes. But just to put it down there in the dark I don't think it's going to be able to survive that for the wintertime and then be able to All be put right. out. Yeah. I
4: have one other quick question for you, sir. I purchased some uh, hybrid sunflower seeds, and they did very well. They got about, oh, twenty 20 inches, 22 inches tall, a lot of blossoms. Can I replant the, the seeds from them next year and expect uh, – The same kind of a a growth, or is it pretty much just a one-year thing?
3: Well, it might be just a one-year thing because some of these hybrids, when you know you they've been cross-pollinated through the growing season, and the seeds that you harvest may not have that same genetic, you know, let's say, uh, formula that the you were able to grow from the ones that you bought. So you could try it, but uh, if you if it doesn't grow exactly like what you anticipate. Just realize that that's what the story was. They've been cross pollinated.
4: Excellent. I thank you so much. I
3: appreciate it. Sure. And now let's go to Rebecca's yard. Hi, Rebecca.
14: I have a comment and a question. At the beginning of your show, you said something about making sure we called in because. KMOX needs to know how much we love you, and we uh, you are my absolute favorite thing on KMOX, and I'm sure I can speak for a lot of other people too, so thank you. And my question is about, I have cherry trees and yew shrubs and all kinds of things, and I know this might be out of your category, but raccoons keep climbing up my trees and shrubs at night. And I wonder, do you know if there's anything I can do to get rid of them or make them just go somewhere else? I love them, but I just don't want them climbing everywhere.
3: <laughs> well, I understand that. Yeah, there are professional services that may come and set up traps, and you could trap them and then have them you know, take, you know, take them and release them to some other location. But uh, there's not too much else. You must live in a wooded area.
14: Um, And I live in Hyde Park in North St. Louis, no, but I I do put, I'm guilty of putting bird feeders out and cat food out and everything else. So I don't, I mean, I love them. I just was hoping there was some botanical way I could get them to want to not climb in the trees.
3: Yeah, go to your favorite uh, garden center and uh, look for repellents, for wildlife repellents, a company called Bonide, B-O-N-I-D-E. Has repellents and see you know which ones they recommend for, uh, you know, let's say getting rid of raccoons.
14: Okay, I just didn't want to harm them. I just wanted them to not climb. Yeah, but I this that's their nature.
3: Yeah, this is a repellent. So in other words, it's All a right. smell or something that they go ooh. Maybe we'll yeah. go to the neighbor's yard.
14: All right. Well, thank you so much, and I love your show forever. Thank well, you. Well,
3: thanks. And I was joking, so anyway. <laughs> but thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it. Let's head to Match yard now. Hi, Matt.
12: Hey, Mike. I was checking to see I have a Japanese uh, cherry blossom, weeping cherry blossom, that I planted a couple years ago, and now it's it's taken off great. But when is the best time to trim that? Because a lot of the branches are going crazy now, and I wanted to get back to the shape, of more shapely
3: time. Well, if you are, you, are you saying some of the branches are getting too long? The ones that are cascading. or Are you having branches yeah. that are growing vertical? Both, both vertical both. ones. You could. I would not do a pruning going into the winter time. So I would wait until we're coming. You know, well, you know, you, you we probably still. You probably have t- you know time to do it. But just realize that anything that you prune now, consequently, will cut off the flowers for next spring. So just, you know, understand that that's, you know, that's the case. So I wouldn't do any kind of cascading of a, or pruning of the cascading branches whatsoever. And then the ones that are going vertical, what they're doing is uh, the tree that you have is actually a grafted tree. A couple different trees actually glued together. And the growth that's going vertical is off the trunk, and then you could do, you can cut those off at basically any time during the winter.
12: Well, I know, I know the ones that are going vertical are actually coming off of the, not off the trunk, but off of the actual branches, which is weird.
3: Yeah, that is strange, because I, so, I, I don't see how that could happen. But anyway, so anything yeah, that's vertical, so, you know, cut off.
12: Anything bird you can cut off. And then the other ones,
3: wait until after they flower? Yeah, because if you cut them off now, the flower buds are being set for next spring right now. So then you're just cutting off the flowers for next spring. And, I mean, if you don't care about that, you're just reducing the amount of flower count that you're going to get next year.
12: Sure, which which we like the flowers. So.
3: Right. That's, right. A, that's why you're growing it.
12: Good deal. Good deal. All right. So we'll wait until after, the fl- after the flowers. Thank you so much. Appreciate
3: it. Yep, my pleasure. And let's see if we can get another call before break. And hi, Craig. How are you today? Hey, Mike. How
13: you doing? Very good. A uh, couple, couple questions. Um, I had um, uh, some cedar trees that they, they chipped down. You know, they, I, I had them uh, all chipped down. With those um, chippings, can I uh, use those as a mulch, that cedar, like around Larope? I got a bunch of Larope. Will that affect those at all? Yeah, adversely,
3: um, because as oh, that okay. stuff starts breaking down, it's you it know, can cause some real problems as far as, like, binding up nutrients and all kinds of stuff. And it's not just because it's uh, juniper slash cedar. It's what any kind of wood material, so any kind of stump grindings or anything like that is not advisable to use as a mulch until it's been composted.
13: Gotcha. Okay. And then... Um... A mugo pine, I got a mugo pine. It's a nice one, old one, but, boy, it seems to be browning up from the inside out. And I just don't know if it's if there's something I can put on there. I don't know if I should try some neem oil or something. What do you think?
3: No, it's just, the you know, natural. I've got a large, mature mugo pine myself, and the interior needles, that's what happens. As long as the tips, okay. you know, the candles are good and everything else, the interior needles just, uh, they get old and the tree just sloughs them off.
13: Okay. And then uh, I have seen some like white uh on the branches like I don't want to call it a scale but kind of spotted white all over it around the whole almost I've seen it on some regular white pines too. Is that just a normal thing also?
3: Well, if it's white, you know, if it's and it's actually on the needles?
13: No, no, on the on the tree limbs itself.
3: Uh, I would probably if it's on the limbs I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's probably a type of okay. lichen or something that doesn't really do okay. anything adverse.
13: Very good. All right, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you you very much.
3: Yeah, if those white things were on needles, then it would be a different story. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
2: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Back to the phones we go, and let's head over to
3: Teresa's yard. Hi, Teresa. Hello. Hi.
11: Yes, uh, I have two questions. One is we have a row of burning bushes by our driveway, and they obviously were planted too close because now they go over the driveway. Can you selectively prune them off the edge without taking them from the top all the way down?
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, you can prune them. They're pretty tough and durable. That's why they use them a lot in parking lots and things like that because they're, I mean, they're just tough. Let's put it that way.
11: Okay, so we can just uh, selectively do. We had it pruned once, but they took it like to two feet off the ground, and I mean, it, it wasn't. It took a long time for them to get nice again. Right. And uh, so that's why yeah, I don't want them again. So if we just kind of look at it and pick the branches we need off the drive, then right. we can just go that route.
3: Exactly, okay. and and just leave them. Probably I would leave them until they get the nice red color, and then prune okay. them after that.
11: That was my plan, but I'm happy to hear it from you. Right. And then the other question is a dogwood that is an ornamental, and it is by the foundation of the house probably six feet out from the house, but some of the taller branches are on the uh, gutter and eaves. We did not prune them after they bloomed, and we sh- I assume we should have. Do we just Can we
3: let it go through the winter that way, or do we just
11: waste those? blooms and well, prune it now
3: if, it's up to you i mean i wouldn't prune it yet but wait until the foliage falls off and then do the pruning during the winter time and then if you prune then the branches you've cut off if they have the flower buds on then you're just missing the flower in the next you know next spring or you can wait till right after they flower and then prune it at that time
11: okay i was just concerned about going through the winter whatever we have uh with them on the roof or on the east
3: Right. So you could certainly do it, uh, you know, wait until, the like I said, the foliage falls off and then prune them at that time. Okay. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Hi, Mike. Love your show.
12: I'm on an acre out in Wentzville, and I am thinking about creating a bit of a hedge between me and the neighbor. I wanted to be about five to feet tall, at least, and 20 feet long. And I was thinking about skip laurel, but don't know if that'll do well in this climate.
3: What was the plant that you were thinking of? Skip cherry laurel. Cherry laurel, no, that won't do well here.
12: Great suggestion for any other hedge that would look nice and be interesting.
3: You don't want just something evergreen as a barrier. No, I would, I'd like. To, go ahead. I would say probably look at the leather leaf viburnum would be the one that I'd pick. It's evergreen. Okay. It's going to give you white flowers followed by red berries.
12: Leather Leaf Viburnum.
3: Right, V-I-B-U-R-N-U-M.
12: And it'll get how tall and how wide? Uh, basically
3: big? about 8 feet by 8 feet, but it's going to take it a while to get there.
12: Okay, anything fast-growing that might help me with the visual blockade?
3: Uh, no, not really. I mean, fast-growing just you know, means it's going to have some problems as, of, you know, as time goes on. So I would say stay away from the fast-growing stuff. <laughs> I mean, you want something evergreen, so there's just nothing going to be fast-growing that's evergreen.
12: Okay, and the cherry laurel won't do well in our
3: climate. No, it won't. All right, thank you. Sure. And let's see. Maureen, can you do it quickly? I can. When is
6: the better time to have landscape work done, fall or spring?
3: It all depends on what you have to have done. I mean, basically, either season really works, but if you're talking about – New installations, transplanting, that type of stuff, fall is by far the best, better than springtime because the ground is so cold in the spring. That answers my question. Thanks so much. All right. My pleasure. And, Nancy, could you do it even quicker?
11: Yes. I have bur- uh, a little miniature burning bushes, and five, three out of the five have dropped all their leaves last month, and they have little spots on them. And I was told they're spider mites. The stems are still green, but I'm wondering
3: if they're going to come back. Well, spider mites look like they have little spider webs along the stem of the leaf. So, Mm. you know, that doesn't sound like spider mites to me. That sounds like something more environmental. So, they're they're five years old. Yeah. So, and miniature and dwarfs is not probably the best thing to do with those guys. They don't seem to be as strong as okay. a, the normal sized ones. So yeah, it doesn't sound like spider mites. Spider mites, the leaves look all mottled and you'll see little bitty webs on the leaf. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, I will see you next week.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?